growing up a gay kid in Arkansas, it's not exactly gay Mecca. It's not, I didn't have any, you know, role models. I did not meet Elizabeth. I didn't meet my first openly gay person until I went to college. And so oh. I was 18 before I ever actually met an openly gay man. Um, and so I was growing up feeling very different, very other, trying really hard to fit in and in, in, fit in, in at school, fit in at home and, and trying to, to, to navigate my way through life. And, and along the way, I developed these survival mindsets and survival defense mechanisms that helped me do that. Um, but that was that was my experience growing up. It, it, it wasn't easy. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth. And that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Welcome, persisters and brothers. I am so honored to have Chad Peavy with me today. I'm going to introduce him in just a second, but Chad gave a great pitch, and he just reminded me of how much we all need to be embraced, included, and celebrated in life. Chad Peavy is an amazing man who was raised in a fundamentalist Christian home and had to come to grips with the fact that he was gay in a place in Arkansas where that was simply not acceptable. And I just think, what would that be like? It's hard enough to be a kid growing up, much less have to deal with that. So I hearken back to my days 20 years as a juvenile probation supervisor, every single year we were faced with parents who wanted us to force their kids not to be gay as part of their court orders for crimes they may have committed. They wanted us to somehow drum that out of them. And when I'd go to the runaway shelter as part of my job where teenagers were, they were often filled you know, the runaway and homeless shelter for teens was filled with a lot of times gay children who'd been rejected by their families. This is something that is absolutely crushing, absolutely devastating. And when one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. So I'm excited to hear what positive things Chad has done with his experience to help people understand, embrace, and celebrate all of us as children and as grown children and have a conversation about forgiveness and resilience. Thanks so much. Yeah. And like I said, here is Chad Peavy. Chad, welcome to Persistence You and thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be with you. Can you tell us a little bit more about a couple of things that you've been working on recently before you tell us how you got to start doing the work that you do? Yeah, I um, in my past life, I was a band director. I went to school at the University of Arkansas and the University of Texas, and I have two degrees in music education. And so I was a band director for half a minute and thought that that was going to be my path. Um, I actually really loved the work. Um, but decided that I wanted to do other things. And then I started the in-house marketing firm for Keller Williams, which is the, the largest real estate company in the world. 
And, and then I that tr- morphed into online training and creating online training for their agents. And I, I did that for them around the world. And along the way, I started a couple of nonprofits. My husband and I have a, a nonprofit called the PS Foundation for the Arts, which allows me to have that music connection. Still, we host a summer yeah. music camp for orchestra kids in Austin every year. And uh, I started the Austin Pride Foundation. And so I've, I, I try to stay as busy as possible um, and, and keep myself out of trouble. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love it. You're doing some great things. So tell us a little bit more about your backstory, though. Growing up in Arkansas, I did mention a little bit in the intro, but tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about your growing up experience and how it shaped you wanting to do the work you do today. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this and I really love the name of your podcast. And and I was thinking about how I could, how does that apply to me? And I was was thinking about that and thinking that if, if I were to, if I were asked to theme my life, uh, persistence would be a word that I couldn't leave out of that theme. And, you know, growing up a gay kid in Arkansas, it's not exactly gay Mecca. It's not, I didn't have any, you know, role models. I did not meet Elizabeth. I didn't meet my first openly gay person until I went to college. And so oh. I was 18 before I ever actually met an openly gay man. Um, and so I was growing up feeling very different, very other, trying really hard to fit in and in, in, fit in, in at school, fit in at home and, and trying to, to, to navigate my way through life. And, and along the way, I developed these survival mindsets and survival defense mechanisms that helped me do that. Um, but that was, that was my experience growing up. It, it, it wasn't easy. I had a my my mom was really young when she had me, and and I would say I, I refer to her in my book as ill-equipped. That was the nicest way I could say sure. uh, what I what I experienced. My dad um, was a bully. I mean, he was a bully in school. He had a reputation for being a bully. And then there's me, this sensitive little gay boy, um, and we were just oil and water. Uh, but the power dynamics, of course, were certainly in his favor. And so growing up for me was not. Not easy, not a, not an easy easy go. Did you have siblings? I have a younger brother. He is seven years younger than I am, and I think when you're that far apart, uh, it's almost like being only children a little, sure. little bit. We weren't we weren't super close growing up as kids, and um, he's a lot like my dad, and so that has it's it's sometimes hard for me. That relationship is is sometimes hard for me because he does remind me so much of my dad. Okay, um, but yeah, but he he's he's living his life. He's living a great life. He has two amazing kids and a, and a and a and a very smart and sophisticated wife, and and so they're very happy. Good, good, good. What was it like when you're growing up, feeling other and feeling like you have to pretend you're someone different? Did you ever want to talk to your parents about? Who you really were? No, okay. uh, no, and I didn't come out until I was twenty-two. Okay, and so so I was putting that off just as long as I possibly could. Right. It, it was dangerous. It would have been dangerous for me, physically dangerous, to come out as as a kid. Okay, um, so that's that was not a possibility. I grew up in a in a fundamentalist uh, religious upbringing. Uh, and so I had the weight of of 
hell was waiting for me basically is, is how I was looking at life through that lens. And so to talk to them about it would have been dangerous. Okay. And then when you did finally open up, or at least when your parents learned about you being gay, how was that initially? So I got to a point, I was, I was at university. I was, I was doing my music ed degree at, at the U of A. And I started seeing guys at that point. I started dating, dating other guys. And I kept that a secret. And of course, I experienced what so many other gay people experience where mother is asking, have you met any nice girls? Right. You know, is, is there anybody in your life? And I'm going, oh, you know, figuring out every which way to lie about it without lying about it. Right. And so that was going on. And then it, it just got to a point where there was just so much internal turmoil and I was just ripping myself up inside that it just wasn't bearable anymore. And I went home and I sat them down in the living room and I, I started telling them, you know, I, there's something I need to tell you. I'm, I'm gay. Mm -hmm. And my dad didn't say a whole lot. Um, I, I think that they had always suspected uh, there was a moment when I was in ninth grade, I can remember being in bed. My dad would go to work really early in the morning and I, he was, he and my mom were, were having a uh, heated argument at really early in the morning and it woke me up. And I can remember, remember my mom saying, you know, I just wish that you would spend more time with him basically talking about me. And my dad says, well, he just acts like a little faggot. Oh. And I, I, I remember that so vividly, Elizabeth, as if it was last night. And so I think that he suspected, if not knew. Okay. I think my mom knew. So I tell them, my mom starts crying and had a really hard time with it. One of the first things that my mom said to me is, who's going to take care of you when you get AIDS? That was sort of her response. That was oh. her response. Um. And I, the one thing that I regret about my coming out, I talk in my book about the consequences of our courage. And it's one thing to have courage and to come out and be you and, and all that. But it's also there, there are real life consequences when you demonstrate real life courage in your life. And one of the things that I wish I'd done differently when I came out was I wish that I had been so much more declaratively definitive that this is who I am. I made the mistake of saying that I wished that I wasn't gay, Okay. that I hoped that I could be different, that I could change. I give that I gave them a glimmer of hope. Okay. And that was a mistake. Uh, not long after I came out, I was living in Fayetteville, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, where the university is. And I can remember my mom knocking on my door in the middle of the night and she had a bunch of Exodus pamphlets, which is this um, conversion type therapy sure. okay. uh, program. And for those and, who don't understand that, could I just interject real quickly that the yeah, conversion please. type of therapies you're talking about are programs that are often church-based, but not always, I suspect, that are trying to get 
gay children not to be gay. They're trying to Mm -hmm. fix them in a sense by doing various techniques, which have been found to be very, very harmful by the psychological Mm -hmm. associations. Yeah. Go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that you did. Uh, And so that was, if I could say there was a a regret about coming out, it it was that I was not more firm. I wish that I had asked for more help. I wish that I had reached out to organizations that were available to me, available to me at the university. I wish that I had sought out mentors that could have helped me through that process um, and helped me navigate that conversation with my parents better. But I mean, I was a 22 year old kid. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. That's okay. And and what was it like when your mom did that? Did you understand that that was probably also rooted in love or were you just so frustrated? I, I, at the time, I was really, really frustrated. Sure. And okay. it has taken me a really long time uh, to overcome that. And it's clearly something that had an impression. I still talk, I'm talking about it with you. It's something sure. that I still talk about in therapy um, because the, that... Talk about a moment of vulnerability in your life when you're having this conversation with these people that brought you into the world and all of a sudden you come in and you basically blow up every fantasy they've ever had for you, which means says something about them and you're just blowing it all to pieces. And that moment of vulnerability and that moment of impression the words that are used in that moment are really important and they stick. It it is one of those life defining disruptive moments that, you know, it's like um, before Christ and after Christ, (laughs) like we mark, it's a demarcation in our life. It bisects your life thing. Right. There was life before you came out and life after, and there was that moment of how it went. And um, I would bet 99% of the time it does go very well. A lot of times I should just say, I bet it goes very poorly. You weren't alone in that. How yeah. very, very difficult. So there was that, that happened. And then what was your relationship like afterward? I needed space. And, and yeah. I definitely took periods in my life where I, I would go um, months, if not years, without having a real relationship with my parents, um, and and we would try. So we we would make a little bit of effort. At least my mom and I, we would make a little bit of effort, and then we would need to take a break. And we would make a little <laughs> effort, and we would need to take a break. And you know, with my dad, that was that was very very different. He he was who he was, and I didn't. I never really had a willing dance partner in the relationship. So so. And, and and I haven't spoken to my dad in almost 15 years and he and my mom divorced um, a few years, I think five to eight years, actually, after I came out, they, they divorced wow. and my mom and I, you know, my mom and I work on our relationship all the time. She makes effort in our relationship. She makes effort with my husband. She, you know, I, I relate it to dancing because sometimes we step on one another's toes. Sometimes <laughs> it's awkward. Sometimes it's messy. But we keep dancing. And as right. long as we're each willing to keep dancing, I'm willing to put in the the work and the effort with her. With my dad, I mean, you, you can't dance with someone that's not willing to to groove. So I, I just, that has not worked out. I think that is such a great way to put it. And that's true for all kinds of family relationships. If there's willingness to keep dancing, even when you smash each other's toes once in a while, as mm-hmm. long as that smashing isn't intentional chronically. Yeah. 
That's amazing. That's just fantastic. So today, how is it that you're helping other young men and women who are in the shoes you used to walk in? So I wanted to, I, I was, I started seeing the school counselor when I was in fourth grade and ever since then, I've been mostly in therapy and in, in some way. And I, and along my journey, I I've done a whole lot of writing and journaling and tracking what it was that I was going through and experiencing and what I was working through. And I got to a point in my career where I was, I was, I was doing work that I, that I mentioned earlier and it was filling the bank account, but it wasn't filling the soul. And I knew I wanted to do something different and I was, I wanted to be, have more of an impact and I wanted to have more influence and I wanted to help other people who had been through what I had been through. And so I started collecting my, my journal and my experiences and put the, putting them into words and, and wrote the book, uh, Break and Untangle. And, and that's one way that I'm doing that. I do a lot of corporate speaking, speaking to LGBT ERG groups, which are these employee resource groups where okay. uh, if you're in a corporation, you can be part of this group of, of other people like you. And I'll go in and talk to those groups. And I do coaching and online courses. So that's, that's how that's that. become manifest. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you think about the little boy that you were back before you came out, what would you want him to know today? If you could reach back and just talk to him and let him know that things would be okay. That's a hard one. And you don't have to. Yeah. 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 I, I, I just, I, I, I like to think about these before I throw yeah. something out. Sure. Um, because I have done a lot of work with the the younger self. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we forget is that that seven-year-old little kid, you know, the, the five-year-old me that realized in kindergarten that he was different, that didn't have the word gay in his vocabulary, but knew he wasn't like the other kids in school. And the middle school kid that was picked on and called names that he didn't understand. And to have my dad say that about me, that little boy still lives inside of me. That little boy is still here. And so I feel like I'm always having a conversation with that internal child because there's so much I'm, I'm a, I'm a, the world is not made for people like me. I mean, let's just face it. This is a straight oriented world. And so I'm always having this conversation about who I am and how I can show up and how I can be me. And Elizabeth, not doing that in a way that being gay gets to define my life, gets to define my career, gets to define the work that I do. But how can I live a fully human life? And gay is just one part of it. So I'm always talking to that kid inside of me and having that conversation, letting him know that he's okay, that he's safe, that not only is the little kid living inside of me, but also the one that is extremely resilient, that is extremely resourceful, that is extremely persistent and letting the little kid know that the adult version of me, the man that I have become is here to protect that little kid still living inside of me. So it sounds a little crazy, like I have voices in my head, but that's how (laughs) I navigate my life. Like I let the voices talk. I let the voices have the conversations with different parts of myself to 
be to operate in the world with less fear, to operate with more persistence, to operate with more resilience, to operate with more love uh, and give that little kid, that little version of me, the things that I can give him now that he wasn't given as a kid. I love it. I just think that is so amazing. And for everyone to know that they're not alone in their situation, if they're feeling like they're they're living in a place or in a family or whatever, that they're still not alone. There's a community out there for them and that there is love mm -hmm. and there will be acceptance. And it may just not be at this very moment, uh, but to keep moving forward. And I, I love the, that you're bringing this conversation to light. What would you say to parents? Because I also have compassion for parents who are very ill-equipped. I think most parents are ill-equipped for all parenting, not just if their kid is uh, gay, straight, what has mental health issues, whatever. I think that we're all somewhat ill-equipped and we mess it up. And so for parents who have made that moment where their child came out a terrible a terrible blight in that child's life. And I'm not saying to excuse that, but how, if they love their child and are committed, how would you want a conversation to look like to inspire hope for change? To, to talk about that, I, I, I have to talk about suffering. Okay. And the way that I think about suffering is it, it's the state that we experience when life doesn't meet our expectations. I think that my life is going to go this way. I think my kid's life is going to go this way. And, and because they're going to be this way, that means something for who I'm going to be. Right. And when, like I said, when I came out to my mom and dad, they, you know, they had a fantasy for having a daughter-in-law and grandkids and all the things that would go along with this prescription mm -hmm. that a straight Chad would have lived out. And I think for parents, the, the thing to consider for me would be, that art, your children, children have to live their life. They have to have their journey. And we get a choice when it comes to our suffering. We can suffer from our expectations. We can suffer from the, 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 the pain of them not living who we hoped they would be, or we can suffer toward, and we can suffer toward helping them create the very best life possible for them, one that is truly theirs that they get to create and find love and joy and passion and beauty and who they are. So when you're thinking about having this conversation, I, I, I bring it back to that. Do you want to suffer from the pain and agony of what you could have been, or do you want to suffer toward creating a beautiful life for this person? And, and that's how I would just interject that into that conversation. Make a choice. Do you want to suffer from, or do you want to suffer toward? Love You're it. going to suffer either way. So pick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think, like you said, so much of it comes from expectations. And if I could just say, you know, in theory, what we read in parenting books is that we, we have to be involved in every part of our little bitty baby's life to make sure they drink the right milk, eat the right foods, later on have the right friends sports, education, all of that. So you have to have expectation to be a parent. The mm -hmm. problem is it goes so far that we want our kids to be reflections of us. And that's yes. just not how that is. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. 
And that's always going to lead to disaster. It's really going to lead to disaster, whether you have a compliant child that wants to fulfill that expectation or you don't, it just doesn't serve anyone well. Yeah. And that compliant child, I was a very compliant child. Uh, I was a very good little boy. Eventually, that child yearns for their own personal freedom, right. yearns for their own authentic, authentic life. They start asking, who am I absent these inherited mindsets that I've picked up? And, and, I, and I think that that has a major influence on the relationships we have with our parents as we get older. Are they people who are willing to let me have my life or right. are they people who still expect and use guilt and shame to get me to conform right. and, and turn me back into the, the little kid that I was growing up when that, that kid is not here? Right. I like that very much. Well, so what are you working on next and where can our listeners connect with you and your work? Yeah, thank you for asking. I, I would like to give every all of your listeners a copy of my book. They can get a free copy of my book on my website, chadpv.com. Okay. It's right there on the homepage. Um, and and there's a there's a course that goes along with that. And and I work all the time to make that better. Um, so that's okay. how folks can find me and connect with me. Thank you, Chad. Thank you yeah. so much for this. And I Hope I didn't throw too many curb questions in as we were talking. Things just came to mind, but I love this conversation. Thank you for it. Thanks for the work that you're doing. And uh, by the way, you've moved to a different, you're not in Arkansas any longer. So business has moved. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) That's right. I'm very glad things have turned out beautifully for you. So keep in touch and thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.